Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Brief, a short, sharp snapshot of the region's policy landscape. I'm Edwina Landale, and this week we are going to unpack an issue that affects every nation in the region, homelessness. The last time the UN attempted a global survey, an estimated 100 million people were homeless worldwide. In the Asia-Pacific region alone, millions face homelessness every day. Just last week, Marites Vitug was on the show talking about the Philippines' war on drugs, which discriminately targets homeless and impoverished city residents. In New Zealand, housing prices are amongst the highest in the world, which just weeks ago prompted a foreign homebuyer's ban in an attempt to turn the tide on a national housing crisis. Australia, too, is faced with growing rates of homelessness. 116,427 people were counted as being homeless on census night in 2016. This is a staggering figure, but even more shocking are the hidden dimensions of this number. 20% were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. 30% were born overseas, and reports show that older, single women are increasingly affected. For many of these women, the risk is not on the streets, it's in the home. Family, domestic and sexual violence is reported as the leading cause of homelessness in Australia. This isn't just a case of not enough housing, it's an issue deeply rooted in economic and social inequalities. Joining me today is James O'Donnell. James is a PhD candidate and research assistant at the ANU School of Demography. His research focuses on population change, poverty and homelessness, and he's winner of the Australian Population Association's 2014 W.D. Borey Prize. Thank you for coming in today, James. My pleasure, Rowena. Thank you. Australia is a very affluent country, as are many countries in the Asia-Pacific region. The welfare system includes social housing projects, we have means-based benefits, Why are we still seeing growing rates of homelessness when we do have enough to provide for all of these people? Some will argue that there's always going to be some level of homelessness in any society. The fact, though, is, though, if if you compare Australia to some of the other countries around the world, including in Europe, the US, UK, we have reasonably high rates of homelessness. Lots of research has shown that homelessness is, more than anything else, a housing problem. We know that people with with particular vulnerabilities and particular difficulties in their own life are more prone to homelessness, but it's it's really the housing that makes the big difference. So there's a metaphor that came out of some of the the US research around musical chairs. The idea is if you've got 10 people and 10 chairs and then you take one away, when the music stops, someone's going to be left homeless. Now, that 10th person that is left homeless probably is going to have more difficulties in terms of perhaps mental health substance use issues, family issues in particular, financial and human capital issues. 
but it's going to be somebody because there's not enough, in this case, affordable housing to go around. And how do people tend to become homeless? The, the first thing that I should say is that you mentioned the census count. It's a, a count that is done on census night. So it's a single point in time estimate of the number of people homeless. But we know that many more people become homeless over a period of time. So it is quite episodic. So people move in and out. Okay, so the Australian Bureau of Statistics, who also run the census, also estimated a few years ago that 350,000 people experienced homelessness in 2014. Now, this was from a household survey that didn't include people who are currently homeless. So that's 350,000 people in 2014 who had been homeless, not including those who are currently homeless. So we've got to say that there's probably somewhere between 405,000 people who are homeless in Australia every year. For some, it's going to be a sort of one-off experience. It might be related to a, a financial crisis, a housing crisis, where they just don't have anywhere else to go. So obviously, job loss, uh, evictions is a big issue. And then obviously, once you get evicted, what's to prevent somebody from then getting their own house? Affordability, obviously. Poverty being a big issue. Poverty pretty much goes hand in hand with every other factor that's related to homelessness. The other big issue is family relationship problems, relationship breakdown. You mentioned violence, domestic and sexual violence. They are, the, they are the sort of big issues. And then they drive entries to homelessness and they can be related to all these other issues around personal health, mental health, human capital, the sorts of education levels they have. So it's those sorts of things that shape a person's ability to manage those conflicts and prevent a potential entry into homelessness. So you mentioned this musical chairs metaphor, which I thought was a really sort of visual way of explaining this problem. And often the people who are left without a chair when the music stops are already disadvantaged within the system. So why are we seeing social inequalities amplified so majorly in rates of homelessness? You, t you take someone who's homeless on the street and you put them in housing and then you bring in all sorts of services to wrap around them, to help them with some of the other issues. But key to that is, is housing and integration into the community as ever. It's a matter of resources and having enough of these programs, of these housing options. There are other things that kind of make entries into homelessness a little bit unpredictable, things like violence especially and um, labour market difficulties and that sort of thing. But it's, but it's all those things that affect particular groups because they're more vulnerable to those things, that they're more vulnerable to poverty, more vulnerable to, to family violence, more vulnerable to family breakdown, and then not having any other option in terms of some of us will, might get an eviction but we can find somewhere else to live. So it's, it's both the eviction and then the inability to find somewhere else that's both affordable and secure. That's the big issue. And since it is minorities and disadvantaged groups who we see most vulnerable to homelessness, do we have a policy framework that is inclusive enough to support this kind of demographic? There's always more that can be done. One of the big things around the minority groups, and particularly around ethnic minorities and people born overseas, is that Homelessness is quite broadly defined in Australia. So the biggest category of homelessness in the census was people living in crowded dwellings. So this takes up about 50,000 of the 116,000 total homelessness. So there's a large proportion, a big portion, proportion of those have born overseas. So that particularly affects migrant groups coming to Australia. And you'd imagine particularly refugee groups. Um, so one of, one of the biggest countries of birth for people living in crowded dwellings in Australia is people from Afghanistan, for example, um, people coming from China, from India, Aboriginal people are at high risk of crowding, as well as some other Australian-born people. 
there doesn't seem to be a, a great policy framework to, to deal with this. And that requires a lot of thinking, particularly around housing planning. We seem to be in a lot of their major cities building a lot of two-bedroom apartments, one- and two-bedroom apartments. But for a lot of these people, sort of multi, large multifamily households that are then forced to live in quite small housing. Um, and that's true for Indigenous communities. That's true in, particularly in the western suburbs of Sydney and parts of Melbourne where migrant communities are living in large families in quite small housing. And there doesn't seem to be much of a policy thought at the moment towards how we might address this or look at this or think about this. As for the other categories of homelessness, you probably don't see the same sort of diversity. Uh, minority groups are still overrepresented, not to the same extent. And there are some efforts, but there's always more that can be done to target those groups, but in a way that also provides housing solutions for, for, for people who are not part of a minority group. So we see the design of households in Australia contributing to this problem with mainly one, two or three bedroom houses and small families living in quite large spaces. Does that mean that we see different versions of homelessness in different regions which have maybe different ideas of what a household is? Yes, absolutely. What, what's driving housing supply and the type of housing that we're building across the region? And then how does that match up with how people want to live? And also then big thing that interacts with that is people's financial situation. So obviously, particularly in some regions, multifamily households is perhaps more the norm than for sort of Anglo-Australians. We're in somewhere, somewhere like Australia, we don't perhaps don't cater to that particularly well. Media reporting has played a huge role in shaping very negative stereotypes of homelessness. With stories like Hunt for Killer Hobo, public opinions can be harsh and inaccurate. What is the impact of this kind of negative stereotyping? So I think it affects a public perception of homelessness and what we need to do about it. It can also affect the people themselves. So people experiencing homelessness carry that stigma around with them, that there's something wrong with them. So some of, the, some of the big stereotypes, so you mentioned some of the quite extreme ones. There are a couple of other big ones that kind of get my back up a little bit. The first is that there is, there is such a thing as a homeless population. We don't have homeless people per se. It's people experiencing homelessness. Homeless is not a permanent condition of people. It's not a characteristic. It's not a personality trait of somebody. It is by far and away a temporary phenomenon that affects people in their lives, people going through very difficult times. It doesn't mean they're always going to be going through difficult times. Sometimes they need a hand and help to get back on their feet. But I, I don't think we should ever believe that someone is beyond help. Another is that perhaps a stereotype that I don't like is that we have such a, a great welfare system that there's always help out there for people. Resources are constrained in this sector, in the homelessness sector. There's some great work going, some great programs that happen around Australia in terms of housing services, homelessness services, but it's underfunded. Shelter space in many of the major cities is at capacity. Public housing waiting lists quite long. Uh, you typically won't get public housing unless you're considered priority. Homelessness can be, a, can be a reason for getting priority. But investment in public housing has been declining. People are typically relying on the support of family and friends in the housing. That's the sort of the primary way in people, people manage a sort of housing disadvantage, our housing loss. That can be obviously positive in many ways, but it can also be quite temporary. It can be a fluid situation. People couch surfing, having to move from couch to couch, and that affects their relationships with people and can expose them to obviously more severe forms of homelessness. And then obviously some of the stereotypes then that you talked about in the question are way out of line and serve to sort of demonise 
people who are, by and large, as I say, just going through a difficult period. And by and large, they're not obviously true. They're just looking for a strong reaction to a news headline, really, and completely demonising a vulnerable group. So you've mentioned sort of a lack of funding in the public sector. And I think that to fill some of these gaps, you do see some innovative private sector responses. We have mobile laundries that drive around the city and offer people a place to clean their clothes. We see distribution of much needed female hygiene products and even university projects that end up being developed and offered to the public. It doesn't seem like the public sector is driving much of this innovation. It's not necessarily creating new solutions to this problem. So are we seeing a progressive policy framework or do we need to see more research and development of these projects? We certainly need to see more and I agree with you on some of the, the innovations led by individuals. I also go back to the, the point that I made earlier, though, that, that homelessness is overwhelmingly a housing issue. We need to deal with all the other issues that surround that, but you, you can't deal with homelessness without housing. And so that, that has primarily been, primarily been the public sector's responsibility, and it does that through various means. As I said, investment in public housing has, it certainly hasn't kept up with um, population growth, nor the, nor the growth in the population experiencing disadvantage and vulnerability. But the public sector does fund a large number of programs. Um, so we have the Specialist Homelessness Services System in Australia, and, and this is government-funded but largely delivered by community organisations, both face-based and secular organisations, organisations like St Vincent de Paul, the Salvation Army, the Red Cross. And it's a network of shelter beds, um, you shouldn't say kitchen, soup kitchens, it's not so politically correct anymore, but food services, various types of accommodation, and all these innovative housing programs that have come up in recent years. So I mentioned the, the Housing First programs. There's something called also Youth Foyers, which I'm very keen on. So this is about bringing people who are young, usually teenagers, who might be in, in, in a shelter or some other homeless situation. This program will pull people off, pull people out of that situation, and they'll give them somewhere to stay in a rented property. They pay rent, but it's tied to their income, and they can stay there as long as they're either in study or work, usually up until about the age of 21 or so. And that has incredible outcomes. So it's taking people off a trajectory of homelessness and shelter from a very early age, which is one of the most important predictors of adult homelessness, putting them on a trajectory whether at university or studying at TAFE or some other vocational education and putting them on a whole, whole new life course trajectory. That doesn't work for everybody. Not every kid kind of responds to that sort of model, but there is recognition of that and there's general, there's diversity in the sorts of solutions and housing options provided. We have a lot of the, the ideas and the, re the research coming from all around the world. It's a matter of resources and having them properly funded and able to meet the demand for these sorts of services. So what is the one thing that policymakers need to be doing to bring people out of homelessness? So everyone's experience is different, right? So, so some people will be fairly high-functioning, capable of reintegrating into society really well. They just need a bit of a hand. It might be just something small. It might be, it might be something like a, something that can help them get back into the private rental market, a bond rebate or something like that. For other people, it's more, they need more care, more help, more support services, particularly those obviously with, with mental health issues, particularly those that are fleeing domestic and sexual violence, people with histories of trauma, childhood violence, childhood homelessness, 
that can make it difficult to to stably rehouse people. So it is it is it does need a sort of a bespoke, individualized, tailored system that responds to individual needs. That's the only way it, it works. And as I say, we have a lot of the good ideas, a lot of the innovations. We trial a lot of them. There's a lot of good stuff that is happening right now. It's a matter of scaling them up. I want to finish up with one quick question about something that I saw on Facebook earlier this year. A friend of mine was experiencing homelessness and she was in Canberra. She was at the Cheesecake Factory and she posted on Facebook asking if someone would buy her a piece of cheesecake. And within five minutes, someone had called up, paid over the phone and it was a really beautiful use of social networking. So I'm wondering what the role of these kind of free platforms, sort of social interactions and help that people can access even when they have nothing, what role do those play in maybe keeping people within their social networks and helping them to maintain a sense of self while they're going through these very, very, very tough times? It's a really touching story. And it just goes to show that the goodwill that is in the Australian community in particular. I'm not particularly tech savvy, so there are the other people that have some great ideas out there. And so I'd put it out to people to come up with some some great ideas. Some of the themes that I would like to people to think about are around advocacy. So how can we keep this in the in, in the public attention? Homelessness is it's been a, an issue in Australia and in quite a few countries now for for a couple of years, and it's kind of stayed in the headlines. But it does tend to go in and out. So a big one is keeping it going, keeping it in the public attention, keeping people thinking about what we're, what we can do about the problem. Public campaigns like Everybody's Home, which you can find out about um, on the internet, and about spreading word of mouth, spreading the information about those sorts of programs, and to try and keep it keep it in the public public mind. I'd love to see sort of a network where some of these sort of service providers could engage with a broader com- community to bring people together and. It's just sort of the, a lot of the day-to-day things that make people's lives easier. I can't then lose sight of the big picture, though, which is putting people back in housing as quickly as possible. And if uh, social media can help with that, that would be incredible. That's all we have time for today, but thank you so much for coming in, James. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I think the underline of that conversation was, as you just said, people and housing. We need to solve this problem in what may seem like the most obvious way, but we need more housing. Mm. I liked what you said about the bespoke, individually tailored policy responses. Hopefully there's some policymakers listening. Don't forget that we have two other podcasts this week. We have Chris Farnham talking about fake news on the National Security Podcast. And our usual podcast on Friday is going to talk about community engagement, how to involve people in public policy decisions that affect their lives. If you have any comments or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter. We're Apps Policy Forum, Facebook, the Asia Pacific Policy Society, or shoot us an email. We're podcast at policyforum.net. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of The Brief. Thank you.